Welcome back everyone to Functional Spirituality. You can probably hear that I still have a little bit of a cold. My voice is a bit nasally, a bit husky. But I'm feeling really good and and stoked to be continuing this conversation. And yeah, I'm, you know, I'm quite skeptical by nature. I'm quite disagreeable by nature. I, I very much um, don't hold back on sharing things that um, I think, um, even if they're not, you know, perfect or not true. So I'm sure as this conversation goes on, in in fact, I hope that there will be a little bit of feedback and um, discussion around some of the points that I'm bringing up because it's not really a topic that has been spoken about at all. People don't go here. Also, I doubt that people have done the sheer amount of research into the topic um, of the history and the philosophy of yoga and of India. Um, So, you know, there may also, especially when people are saying things that are confronting, like I I might be, um, there can be a lot of... um, like resistance and maybe um, discomfort and a little bit of a fight back um, inside yourself. As I say, you know, there is no one lineage of yoga. Yoga is not a real thing. Yoga is inherently dogmatic (laughs) at the heart of it, like I was saying last time. And these are things that I honestly believe in, don't say lightly. Um, I am, you know, at the same time, I am continuously looking for a reason to throw out my yoga practice. You know, I'm, I'm on the brink of it. Actually, I'm not on the brink of it anymore, but for a few years I was on the brink of it. I'm like, I'm a yoga teacher. I own a yoga studio. I give yoga teacher trainings, give yoga courses, just hungry and looking for a reason to be like yoga is bullshit and there's or maybe not yoga's bullshit because obviously there are parts that I you know would still enjoy but I was always looking for the reason to throw it out and to start with something new I love throwing things out and starting with something new um not to give permission to not being consistent but I'm always looking to, you know, break something down to the bottom to really see, does this even work? Is this even functional? Does this even make sense? Am I just kidding myself, you know, because I've built up my whole reputation and my business and my livelihood and my spirituality around yoga? Is it even worth it? Should we be doing something else? Should we be not moving our body and sitting in meditation? Should I be moving more into psychotherapy? Should I be doing something more shamanic? You know, is yoga still the best thing? And it will probably delight you to hear this, that every time I ask that question and dig in deeper, all I just keep getting re-inspired and reconfirming that Yoga is the most amazing tool for deconditioning, for cultivating, and for awakening the three-part spiritual method that we teach. Yoga is the best tool for getting anything done in your life and in your existence. 
if you know how to use it, if you're intelligent, and if you let the practice continue to refine and to evolve. If I was doing the same practice that I was doing 10 years ago right now, that would be ridiculous. Uh, That would just be so limited. There are very few things that I'm doing now that you would be able to recognize in my practice from 10 years ago. And if you can imagine those things that I'm still doing now, me being the pickiest, the most skeptical, the most cutthroat, functional person, if there are some things that I'm still doing, they must be absolute gold. And I like that. I like that continuous refinement It suits my temperament to search for the truth with such a hunger um, and to not settle for anything less. Trust me, that pisses off a lot of people in my lives because they're just like, can't you be satisfied with this version? You know, this version of the manual? (laughs) or this version of our relationship, or this version of our team. And I'm like, "Um, yeah, this may have satisfied me at another time, but I've evolved. Yeah, so I'm just different like that. (laughs) I want the truth, Um, you know, and I'm getting better at not subjecting everyone to that same sword, Um, and allowing other people, you know, the funniest thing is that earlier on in my journey, when I was, um, the most unfunctional and the least refined and the, you know, most unintelligent, I was the most judgmental and critical. And now as, you know, I've matured a lot in my practice and so on. I'm more compassionate and understanding of all sides, but still hungry for the refinement and for the perfection. You know, these words get thrown around, perfectionist and and stuff like that. Um, You know, I don't believe that there is ever anything that is perfect, but I still, you know, I'm happy to use that word perfection as a, you know, as a metaphor and, you know, exemplifying that there is something more refined that we can be moving towards that will be better for us. And that is a human instinct. Like I said, I think in the last episode to want to move towards value, that's okay. It's not a human instinct. It's a biological instinct. All living things want to move towards that you know, it's also weighed up and paired up against what is your capacity to refine. And my capacity to refine things is high. So my interest and my drive to refine things is also high because my capacity is high. So let me want the things that I want, okay? Just taking things so personally right now, You might be able to sniff out a kind of conversation that's going on outside of the podcast in my personal life. But anyways, I digress. Let us get back to the yoga. I was mentioning that practitioners and maybe other yoga teachers 
might, you know, um, take issue with this idea that there's no real yoga um, and, and so on. But I'm, I'm definitely going to explain this more, you know, and take us a little bit into that history and, um, you know, the different periods of yoga. It's, it's so obvious, you know, there's this amazing text by two of my academic heroes, Mark Singleton and James Mallinson, who are, you know, yoga academics, just, you know, amazing, amazing scholars in the field. And they've written a text called Roots of Yoga. And it's a compilation of about a hundred and something Sanskrit texts. So manuscripts that have been translated. And it's um, divided into chapters. So what do all these different texts say? Not all 120 on each topic. But what do as many as they could find texts say about chakras? About the definition of what yoga is, about energy, about nadis, about samadhi and enlightenment. What do the different yoga texts say about these different, you know, pillars of yoga? And the disparity is incredible, you know. All of them say opposing things. 12 chakras, 0 chakras, 10 chakras, 6 chakras. Anyone who believes in chakras is an idiot. Chakras are the best part about yoga, like all kinds of different things. And some of these texts are within the same branches of yoga as well. So there's such an inconsistency and such a competition between the different branches of yoga, but also within the same branches themselves. Um, you know, and that's what we do nowadays, right? Modern yoga is that, right? It's a competition. So many different styles of yoga, from yin styles to yang styles to alignment-based styles to therapeutic-based styles. Some are more performance, some are more energy, all of these different things. That's not a, you know, bastardization coming from modern yoga. That is yoga. Yoga has always been like a vehicle for that society and that culture and that person's spiritual practice. So, you know, people think that they are going to find enlightenment and spirituality if they find out what yoga really is and if they attach themselves to a yoga system. Actually, you know, <laughs> that's not the way it works. Yoga will not offer you that. Yoga is fluid. Yoga is not a real thing. Yoga was more connected to the state and to politics than to spirituality for most of its history. And, and, you know, now we're like, oh my God, commercialization of yoga and monetization of yoga. No one should pay for yoga. It's always been connected with hierarchy, with the state, with the religion, with money. Yeah, it's, that's how it's been. So I'll definitely be providing more references and resources as we go on. Now I'm actually just stuck in a, a rant. So, um, 
But yeah, like I've said, studying the history in recent years has been way more enlightening to my practice. It's it's really been an evolution of my practice, which is all that we can hope for. I quote Adyashanti very often um, where he says, my spirituality is a graveyard. Oh, I always get this wrong. My spiritual progress is a graveyard of my old spiritual beliefs. And that was so validating for me. I thought, yes, that's all I could hope for is to be reinvented, which is so not what is normal or, you know, hoped for in yoga. It's like, no, I want to have something consistent that, you know, I want to be linked to some ancient text and an ancient guru. Oh my God, this guru studied with Babaji and, you know, trying to have some lineage and linkage to something from the past or to someone else is not functional. That is your ego holding on, which is fine. Like I said, as yoga works on you and as yoga helps you to heal and to connect, you know, these fragments of yourself, it does go in there like a a filler foam and it gives your ego something to attach to. But you've got to be able to let that go when you're ready. Like you can't just attach yourself to these things and yoga becomes your stagnant energy. You know, yoga actually becomes the frozen and regressed parts of yourself and and buffers them and locks them in even further. You know, that that vagueness of yoga is so oh, disgusting. I mean, you know, it's not always disgusting, but you've seen those disgusting versions of it. You know, we've we've got Netflix and you've seen those, um, you know, the um, Bikram documentaries and the Osho and, and people and, and you've seen it, you know, in your own communities, people just glazing over and that glaze is yoga, you know, and it's just it's dogma and it's not helpful and it's just not good enough, you know, we're. We're in a stage of our spiritual practice and of humanity where it really is. It's the the next age, I'm calling it. It's an age of inquiry and of questioning and of functionality. Um, and that really just means instead of always looking outward, you know, the rat race of like, what can I do next? Where can I go? Actually stopping and saying, you know, where am I? What am I doing now? Who am I right now? What do I need right now? That that striving and that pushing and that buying into the rat race around us, it's a part of our civilization that it's it hasn't graduated from the survival mode, you know? Yes, there was a time when the most important thing, and, and maybe you're in a phase of your life right now, where the most important thing is just to move ahead and just to get forward and just to get that next step and just to get things done. And you just need to. There's no time to sit and reflect and take a bath and to rest and to prioritize your self-care and stuff. You just need to push forward. But at some time, 
It could be in that phase or after that phase, you don't need to push forward anymore. You need to stop and evaluate with an open attention. The You know, if you're locked into fear, there's no way you're going to stop and evaluate. There's no way you're going to take a pause. There's no way you're going to take a smile and accept whatever answers come up and whatever you see and whatever, you know, revelation you have about what you've been doing that might not be quite aligned or quite right or maybe even harmful. You can't do that if you're locked in fear. But we perpetuate the fear and continue to lock ourselves in it by being obsessed with the future and being obsessed with progress. You know, the next step in our evolution is balance. We don't just need to push society forward in one direction. We can slow it down and turn inward and start to question and inquire again. And I guess that was kind of similar for me with my spiritual practice. After a certain amount of time, um, I'd already got the experiences that I was looking for. I think that was actually pretty, pretty big, a, a big contributor to my turn towards functional functionality and functional spirituality was that I, I got it, you know, I got the energy. Finally, I got the awareness. I, okay. This is what the void is. This is what meditation is. This is what it's like to be at peace. And I don't any longer, whether I consciously or unconsciously admitted this, I don't need to be begging desperately to some ancient text or another guru or another person to validate my experience or to give me what I need. I've got it. I'm happy with my spiritual practice. I'm happy with my life. I've got what I need. I don't need to, you know, buy in or um, become um, a groupie anymore to, to some system. I'm happy with where I'm at. And after that, I was actually willing to question and became way more interested in the context. And that was a huge evolution of my practice. Seeing where the practices came from really changed what I what I teach. So if you did a teacher training with me before 2017, 2018, what I teach now, you know, functional flow and functional spirituality is very, very different. I really dismantled all of the practices and took some time and yeah, it took a lot of work, a lot of work. You know, we definitely, as people, we shy away from that massive project of completely overhauling your offering it's not only um, scary for your reputation and for your personality and your stability, but it's a lot of work to overhaul everything and then to put it back together with only the gold. And I plan to continue to do this, you know, saying that with sass because I always get a little bit of flack from um, Jared about rewriting the manual every single year. Some of those things that we practiced last year are not as good as some of the new things. There's got to be a little bit of something out and something in, you know, 
something old away and something new being brought in. There's got to be that refinement and I'm definitely willing to throw everything away if I find something new that is complete and contradicts what I was practicing before. So becoming really interested in the context has made my practice so much more functional, what I share more functional, you know, the students that I attract more functional, incredible, incredible community that I have surrounding me, the ones, you know, you guys that are listening, incredible people that are so mature, so ready, um, to take on this new approach of not just trying to push forward, but willing to step back and to slow down. It brings another dimension to, you know, to refining our practice. So I'll leave this one here and I'll see you in the next part. Thank you for listening. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you stay in touch. And we welcome conversation about these episodes. So head over to Facebook and search Functional Spirituality. And inside that group, we'd love to hear your thoughts and connect with you even further.